All right. Well, as a jumping off point, I, I thought I would show you something in our ERP system that uh, perhaps you had not noticed previously that relates to our discussion last time. And that is, um, I have, have navigated here to the portion of the SAP GUI where I've drilled into logistics and materials management and then the material master, which is a reference to the material master record that uh, we were talking about for most of our class time together on Tuesday and uh, drilled down into the material folder and you'll notice here we have a, a transaction group a folder here related to creating material masters and uh, when we unroll that uh, we see some things that should look very familiar to us in light of our discussion uh, creating a raw material creating a semi-finished product a finished product you'll notice there are things here that we have not yet talked about uh, but there's trading good uh, listed as one of the items there and so um, I observed last time that the materials we were talking about were not uh, an exhaustive list, but certainly four of the most commonly used. And once you understand the principles behind those and how that relates to view creation and population, it's very easy to extend that across other domains. Some of the things that are listed here, such as non-valuated material, we will come back to and talk about later in the semester. Um, but just at this point, I thought uh, stopping to take a look at that for a moment uh, would be something useful for us. So once again, let me pause and see if anyone has any questions while I'm transitioning over to uh, the slide set here. No quiz for today, obviously. Uh, probably likely that one day next week we'll have a quiz, but I don't know whether it will be on Tuesday or Thursday. Probably will depend a lot on how much we cover today and how much we cover when, when we are, are next together. So we're here on this topic of, of enterprise systems, and we wrapped up last time talking about the uh, material master. And so um, where we are going to jump in today is this overview of the document concept for transactional data. That's something that you answered questions about for a recent homework assignment and, and pretty much everyone did well on that. There's not as much complexity there, so I think we can go through that fairly quickly. But then I do want to talk about this uh, issue of transactional versus analytic data handling, how that's managed in the system, and, and what that means, means for us. So one of the questions that you had in your homework related to basically how our documents created or, or updated, and, and the idea here is, is fairly straightforward. ERP systems and other enterprise information systems are designed to enable a company to execute their business processes. Well, as business processes are executed, a wide variety of transactional data is generated. Now, if you think about that for a moment, will the execution of business processes generate organizational data? Well, no. We create organizational data as a part of the configuration process. Um, what about master data? Well, for the most part, no. Executing a business process is not going to create master data. Master data will be in the system that we will use, but uh, generally speaking, most of our business processes will not create master data. An exception to that would be if we're selling 
a product to a customer that has never bought from us before and so we need to establish a new customer account. In that situation, we would be creating new master data as a part of the execution of the business process. But for the most part, most of our business processes will not have us create new master data. They'll leverage master data that's already in the system. But as we go from step to step to step in various business processes, we will be generating transactional data. And so that is the data that is particularly recorded in documents for the sake of our uh, tracking purposes and, and later uh, analysis. So the document principle is once we create a document in our system, that document can never be deleted. And that's an important element of our security and uh, data integrity model. Now, we can archive documents, which would mean moving them off of the current system onto some kind of archive system. But technically speaking, when we do, when we do that, we're not really deleting the document. We're just moving it from one place to another. The reason why documents can never be deleted, I, I think, should be fairly, trans, fairly uh, transparent and easy to discern. If we can make documents disappear, then we could perhaps use that as a vehicle for hiding fraudulent activity, for hiding embezzlement, for uh, uh, doing things with the system that, that we uh, ought not to be doing. And so we can reverse an accounting posting, we can cancel a customer order, but that still does not involve going in and actually deleting a document. We take an order from a customer, they're assigned to order number 118, they write us back the next day and say, I'd like to cancel that. We go into the system, we cancel order 118, but we could still pull that order up and we could still look at it, but the status of the order would be canceled and, and that would tell us not to, to fulfill it. There are a variety of document types. Now, your book talked about there being four different types of documents and kind of implied that that was an exhaustive list. It, it's not. Those are just four of the more common uh, document types that we see. Financial accounting documents capture the financial impact of a business process step. Now, particularly for those of you that have taken an accounting class before, what is something that might happen as a part of a business process that would result in our having to make some kind of financial accounting posting. Somebody pays for something, uh, either I'm not sure if you meant pays off a, a, a debt they owe us or uh, somebody buys something on credit, but either of those scenarios have financial accounting implications. And so that would have to be recorded. What else might be something that would have a financial accounting implication? I buy a new piece of equipment. That's going to have a financial accounting implication. Absolutely. What else? I ship merchandise out to a customer. And in so doing, I relinquish my ownership and 
transfer ownership to the customer, I, I have to account for that, uh, no pun intended, in my accounting system. And so that's going to be memorialized in a financial accounting document. So anytime a step in a business process has a financial accounting implication, that is captured in a financial accounting document. And later on in the semester, probably in the next chapter, we'll look at some financial accounting documents and they're pretty much what you would expect. It's a record of this account being debited, this account being credited, and then other transactional and situational elements such as for what amount, on what date, who put in the transaction, and, and so on. Management accounting uh, or controlling documents, CO documents, record the financial impact of business process steps. So in that respect, they're very similar to financial accounting documents, but the distinction here is they're primarily focused on things related to cost accounting. So this would be expenses, um, things where our organization is incurring costs, that's going to be memorialized in a management accounting document. Now I'll go ahead and tell you just as an aside that in SAP ERP these are two different kinds of documents. They're totally separate from one another, but there could be a step in a business process that will generate a financial accounting document and a management accounting document. Two separate documents that come out of one separate step. So that right away tells us that we could have one step in a business process that generates multiple documents. One of the things that SAP is changing in their forthcoming S4 release, remember we said that the S in this situation stood for simple. One of the things that they are simplifying is all accounting uh, implications will be captured in just one document. So there no longer will be separate financial accounting and management accounting documents. It will be one accounting document that records both of those things. So currently, these are two separate documents, but under the forthcoming architecture in the future, that will be consolidated as a way of, of simplifying things. Yes, sir? Um, you can buy it now. Um, not you, but a company could buy it now. And the only thing that has been delivered with S4 at the moment is uh, financials. Um, they are working right now on logistics, which is not sure when that will be delivered. And then after that, um, I think the next module is supposed to be planning. So they're kind of phased release. But a company could go out and buy it right now and begin the process of moving to S4. Not a large number of companies have done so at this point. But um, by the end of our class, that may change because SAP is out there selling this really, really hard. So some companies are, are moving this direction right now. Okay. Good question. Other questions? All right, so materials documents, <coughs> excuse me, records materials movements and the impact of business process steps on, on the status of materials. One example is what I just shared with you a moment ago. My company sells merchandise and therefore we part with materials. Well, that gets captured in a material document. Now, kind of got to put your thinking cap on here for a second because we haven't talked about this explicitly. But suppose I told you 
truthfully, that selling a product to a customer, when we ship that out, that results in shipping that item out results in both a financial accounting document and a material document being created. Who can hazard a guess as to how those documents are different and what is contained in those two documents? So let me tee up the scenario again to give you a chance to think about it. We, uh, we are right now executing the business process step of shipping material out to the customer and transferring ownership to them. Okay? So what's the financial accounting part of that? And then what would be the, the element that's captured in the material document? Who can give us all or a part of that? Yes, sir. Okay, the financial accounting document is going to focus on the dollars and cents. We just parted with $5,000 worth of merchandise. So we have to take $5,000 worth of an asset off of our balance sheet because we no longer own it. So the financial implication is going to be captured in the financial accounting document. So what does that leave for the material document? What's it going to record? Actual materials, and I heard someone say quantity, and things like what plant and what storage location those were taken from. So the financial accounting document would say, we just sold $5,000 worth of stuff. And so here's the financial accounting postings. The material document would say, plant P1 took 500 units of this material out of storage location FG02 and shipped it to the customer, so we now own 500 fewer units of that product. So the financial accounting document captures the accounting perspective. The material document captures what we call the materials movement and the quantities associated with it. So notice the segregation here. The financial accounting document doesn't capture quantities of material. The material document doesn't capture money or dollar signs at all. That's part of our data handling mechanism here, whereby different kinds of documents are going to capture certain kinds of information always and, and forever. Now, let me give you a different scenario. I go into our ERP system, and like you did when you played ERP Sim, I change the price of a material. I change the selling price of a product. Is that captured in a document? It is not. It is not captured in a document because what I have done is I have updated or changed uh, a master data record. Similarly, if I go in and update a customer's shipping address, is that going to be captured in a document? No. There's no financial accounting implication of that. There's no management accounting implication of that. There's no materials that are involved in that. So not everything that I do in the system will be memorialized in a document. Now, that doesn't mean that it won't be logged in the system and that someone, if they wanted to, couldn't go back and look at what was done. But now we're talking about something that's captured in the system by way of part of its security model and its logging that's not specifically a, a document. 
okay? And so uh, the documents that we will focus on as we move forward here are, are the ones that are, are mentioned here. So just to continue illustrating this point that we have made before, if I look at a sales order in the system, the sales order will have organizational data on it, it will have master data on it, and it will have situational data on it. And my hope would be that when we see a question on the forthcoming midterm exam that would ask something like, what organizational data is there on a sales order? And maybe you're given a list of six or seven things and asked to pick out which ones. My hope is not that you would memorize that, but that you would just be able to think about it logically and come up with an answer. First of all, the client is on every single thing we do. So client is always going to be organizational data that is, is recorded on every document without exception. The company code is there. Why is the company code there? Legal entity, but what else do we have? Financial accounting. Selling something has a financial accounting implication, so that's why the company code has to be there. Anytime we have any kind of financial implication to something going on, the company code will be presented. Why is the plant and storage location there? Okay, um, I might say that a little bit different in that this is where we decide we're going to fulfill the order from. We might have many, many different plants that have this particular material, but we say, okay, you, plant number P27, you're the one that's going to fulfill this particular order. And specifically, a storage location is given because that's where this merchandise is that we are selling to the customer. And so organizational data captured on a sales order, client, company code, plant, storage location. I think that's just very, very logical. Master data on a sales order. Well, I'm selling it to a customer, so the customer is going to be there. I am selling a material, and so the material is going to be there. And as far as vendor being listed here, that's pretty much a typo because we're not going to have a vendor listed on a sales order because that's none of the customer's business. So uh, what we have here is the customer that we are selling the material to and the materials listed themselves. Situational data is, you know, who took the order would be situational data. Um, how much, meaning how many of each of the materials are the customer ordering, when, meaning things like when do they want it delivered, when did they place the order, and where would be things like where uh, is this going to ship to, where are we taking it from, and so on. So those things are captured in situational data. So all of this comes together in our document, and that document then goes into, that's then a transaction document that's going to be capturing all the details related to the sale to the customer. So this next slide pretty much just illustrates the same thing. And if we, if we look at this in the ERP system just to see how, how this presents itself here.
we can go into, and I'll have to navigate to a slightly different location here, logistics, sales and distribution, sales, order, uh, display, and I'll just look up a sales order that is in the system. And so we have a few more here than we had last time we did this because of uh, people's continued work. So I don't know who number 27 is, but we'll, we'll look at your sales order here. And so notice what we have is there's a lot of information right here at the top of the order, the order number itself, the sold to party, the ship to party, the purchase order date, uh, which is, is blank at this point because apparently this order went out without specific reference to a purchase order. But all of this information right here, if we go back to um, the slide we were just looking at, you know, all of this in the header, the sold to party, the ship to party, those are references to customer master data. Company code, sales organization, distribution channel, division, all of that is organizational data. And uh, once again, we, we see all of that represented down here. We have to scroll down a little bit, but here's our sales area that has the uh, sales organization. And this one is made by UE27. The distribution channel is wholesale. The division is AS. So all of this, this is organizational data. Now, what's important to realize about this, and it's an important attribute of a document, a document will have a header section and then a detail or line item section. And the idea here is that everything in the header section is universal and applies to everything in the detail section. But in the detail section, every line is its own independent entity. Now, that sounds a lot more complicated than it is in reality. What I mean by that is, okay, the item ordered might be material M427. And we are going to fulfill that out of plant PL27, storage location FG1, and the quantity that the customer ordered was 84. The next line item might say material 496, and we're going to fulfill that out of plant 84, out of storage location FG3, and the customer ordered 96 of those. Well, down here in the line item section, every line item is its own independent entity. But what we're saying is, for each of these line items, all of this header information is universal. In other words, every sale on this sales order document was made by the same company code and made by the same sales organization. And made through the same distribution channel and as a part of the same division. If any of those things would be different, that would mean we'd need more than one sales order document. Because always in documents, whatever's in the header section is universal for the entire document, but every line item uh, stands, stands by itself. And that's, that's the document concept. And so we got through that pretty quickly and knocked that out, I think. Um, any questions about this? 
All right, we have one very important piece left, and we will be done with our discussion here. And I think this is, uh, I'm not sure if this, which chapter is chapter one, or Enterprises? Was this chapter one or chapter two? Okay, so we're just about done here with chapter number two. Let's talk about the two dimensions of data handling within ERP systems. ERP systems are primarily focused on transaction processing. And what do we mean when we say transaction processing? That means capturing and storing detailed information about business process steps. I, I seem like I continue to repeat the same thing over, but we're kind of filling in other elements of detail as we go along here. ERP systems exist to help a company execute its business processes. What does that really mean? Well, as we just observed, that means that as we go from step to step to step in our business process, documents are created which capture all of the information related to that. So the primary role of an ERP system is transaction processing. Because what I cannot have happen is I cannot take in 500 orders from a customer and just lose them. Or I can't ship out merchandise to a customer and then say, what did I ship to who? And not have any record of that. So, an ERP system is critically important because it supports a company's executing transactions. I've talked to professionals from several different companies that have talked about how when their ERP system doesn't work, everything grinds to a halt. They can't ship orders to customers, they can't take orders, they can't do anything. Because literally anything that they would do would be executing business processes. And if our ERP system is not there ready to record what we are doing, we can't do things. Now this, on some level, you might say that's kind of trivial. Well, conceptually it is. In the real world, what makes this challenging is the volume of data we are talking about here is very, very significant. But from a conceptual basis, all an ERP system does is let us define our business processes and then capture all the information related to those business processes. What we are talking about here, to put a computer word on this, is what has been called online transaction processing or OLTP. Now, some of you might wonder about the word online here. Online here is not a reference to it being on the internet. It is a reference to it being distinct from its predecessor, which was batch transaction processing. And that's what companies used to do, by the way, in the earliest days of computing. Uh, they would take customer orders and punch them onto computer cards. And then at the end of the day or halfway through the day, all of those computer cards would be accumulated and they'd get walked over to a computer and put into the hopper and a button would be pushed and all of those cards would be fed through the system and the system would then process that information. But in a batch system, we batch things up and then feed them to the computer in, in those bundles or batches. OLTP is not that. We capture this data in real time as things happen. So that's why we call it online. And transaction processing is part of what we have already described. Now, this is the primary role of ERP systems. 
And that's very, very important because what that means is ERP systems are not specifically focused on reporting. And you might recall from your experience in working with ERP SIM, and when we get into analytics, this is where there's a little bit of a difference in what happens in the management course versus what happens in the CSCI course. But one of the things all of you experienced is when you looked into the ERP system to try and find out things like you know, who you were selling products to and in what part of the country and in what quantities and what revenue and so on, it wasn't really easy to understand the information as it was presented to you, and it certainly wasn't, uh, you know, something where you had lots of nice graphs and charts and other things. If you wanted to create those things, you had to pull the information out of the system and create it in some other tool. That's because ERP systems do some reporting, but that's not their focus. The focus of an ERP system is to capture data and process the data and make sure nothing, nothing ever gets lost. So the kinds of reports that an ERP system or an OLTP system in general creates are very, very simple. And they tend to be two kinds of, of reporting focuses. We have work lists and we have online lists. The distinction here is talked about in your book. I, I don't particularly think it's, it's that uh, significant or, or, or that uh, stupendously important. But a work list is simply a list that I could look at on the screen or print out that basically tells me these are things that need to be done. So one kind of work list that I could, I could print out would be a picking list. And if I worked in the warehouse, I might print out a picking list, which would tell me what items to go and get in order to put in a box to fulfill a customer's order. So that's a work list. I could also print out a list of all the customers who need to be billed. Now, billing can be automatic. But some companies want to actually have an accountant overseeing the billing process. And so billing is something where people specifically say, okay, send these set of bills. Well, I could generate a work list that showed me all of the things that have happened where a bill needs to be generated. And so these are the kinds of things that people will do, um, generate these lists and work through the list as a part of their jobs. Online lists are things that we create more on demand to try to understand what's going on. And so I would suggest to you that most, if not all, of the reports that you saw in ERP SIM were online lists. They showed you what you had in inventory. They showed you sales that you had made. They showed you uh, purchases that were expected on certain days and whether or not they had been fulfilled. Those are the two kinds of output that ERP systems have been engineered to be able to perform. The idea here is they're not really that sophisticated. They're certainly not focused on gaining advanced insight. It's really just more about basic reporting related to transactions. Well, here's the thing. Back in the 70s and 80s when this technology was new, that was fine. 
But as companies became more sophisticated in their use of technology, they really wanted to do more with analytics. And so analytics is this idea that we're going to take this information and we want to be able to aggregate it and summarize it and present it in such a way that we gain meaningful insight. So what we talk about when we're talking about this idea of processing information to gain insight, we're talking about analytics and now we're talking about a different kind of processing. Now we're talking about online analytic processing, which is a very, very different thing. Transaction processing is all about capturing data from business processes. And so if you will, a company will have a mountain of transactional data. Well, when we talk about analytic processing, now we're kind of talking about figuring out a way to navigate through that data, like a miner might navigate through a mountain, looking for nuggets of useful insight and information. That is not the primary role of an ERP system. But over time, customer demands changed, and so SAP and other companies began to look for ways to introduce analytic processing into their systems. And right away, we now have a problem because everything in these systems is oriented towards data capture related to transactions. If you will, an ERP system is nothing but a giant vacuum cleaner that sucks up all the information it can about a company's business processes and captures it to make sure that we can do our tax filings and we can do all the things that we have to do to run our business. OLAP, this analytic now, this changes the whole game and that we're not just focused on sucking in the information but doing things with the information. Well, from a computational point of view, Transaction processing is challenging due to the volume that we're talking about here and perhaps due to other things like the velocity. You know, Walmart captures just oodles of information every minute and so the volume and velocity of the transactions create a challenge. Analytic processing, therefore, needs to figure out a way to do these advanced calculations, some of which might be based on statistics and other things of that sort, but doing it in a way where we don't impair our ability to capture transactions. And so, if you will, if at the heart of our computer there was a team of hamsters on wheels that were, were doing their thing and that's how the computer kept running. The hamsters are already really busy just doing transaction processing. If you ask them to do analytic processing, they're going to flop over and have a heart attack. So what companies like SAP had to do is figure out a way to give companies some analytics without killing the hamster or without making the system run so slowly that transaction processing was impaired. So how do we do this? SAP realized as a part of their architecture of their system, what they could do is as they were capturing transaction information, 
they could be on the lookout for certain kinds of transactional information that we might be interested in looking at later in the context of analytics. And it puts that information in an information structure. Now, let me give you a, a kind of a, a secret that you might not know. Um, not that this is going to be like an earth-shattering secret, but bear with me. It's, it's something that I suspect most of you did not know. ERP SIM. Let's say you pulled up a report that said that you have sold a dead green magic marker. Uh, you have sold... Wow. The nurses ate all of our whiteboard markers. They must, oh, there's some right here. What are the odds that this one will write? Pretty good, okay. You sold 87,452 boxes of blueberry muesli, okay? You look at a report and it tells you that. Where'd that number come from? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you thought that when you ran that transaction, it went out and added it all up for you. That's not the way that works. The way this works is every time we sell a box of blueberry muesli, somewhere in the system, there's a running total counter. So we make a sale, and so now we've sold 50. And then we make another sale, and now we've sold 150. And we make another sale, and just so I don't have to keep erasing the whiteboard, now we've sold uh, 1,504. And every time we make a sale, that just gets accumulated. And so when you ask for this information, it doesn't go out and calculate it right then, it just looks it up, having already pre-calculated it. Why does it do that? If you will, it's kind of cheating, because it knows that as part of analytic processing, you're very likely to ask it for this information. And it knows that going out and calculating it on demand is going to require a lot of computation. So how could we get you that answer without it being too computationally intensive? We could just accumulate things as we go along. And that's literally what this is called. This is called an accumulator, or you'll sometimes hear this referred to as an as an aggregate. And so as different things happen in the system, the system automatically aggregates those things. So different things happen. We engage in various transactions. And the system basically has been engineered to say, OK, these are the kinds of things that I think people are going to ask me. And so it keeps track of that. So if you say, how many boxes of blueberry muesli did I sell? It can tell you that. If you say, how many boxes of blueberry muesli did I sell in the north? It can tell you that too, because there's a whole set of these aggregates that it knows to keep track of. But there are certain questions you can ask it, and it can't answer for you. Okay, here's a, here's a stupid one. How many boxes of blueberry muesli did I sell to customers with an even account number? Can't answer that question. It's kind of a stupid question, but it can't answer that question. Why can't it answer that question? Because that wasn't something it was keeping track of. So we have to, 
in order to engage in some analytic processing in our ERP system, we use these, these aggregates as a way of kind of fulfilling the demands that customers have because they want advanced insight, but at the same time, not causing our system to be so bogged down and so slow it can't do anything. Yes, sir. I do not have to use ABOP to do that. I can do this in configuration, and we'll, we'll come to that. No, it's not off topic at all. And so this diagram uh, attempts to capture what, what I have just explained to you. We have business processes. As business processes occur, all kinds of transaction data is flying around in the system. And all of that data is headed for our OLTP environment. And so what we are doing here in this OLTP environment is we're really, really focused on capturing data, capturing data, capturing data, because nothing can ever be dropped or lost or, or whatever. This OLTP system, it can just give us basic lists and basic reports. It can tell us who we need to bill, what orders need to be shipped out, you know, who bounced a check, give me a list of them. It can give us very, very basic lists and reports. But that's all the OLTP system is engineered to do. And this is what early ERP systems did exclusively. They just did this. But then customers demanded more of the system and so what we have here is, you know, this is the transaction processing focus. This is the idea that everything here is what I have to do in order just to process my business's transactions. But then if we want analytics, the system can be configured and is by default configured to give us some of these information structures. And that's what I put here on the whiteboard, these aggregates. The system is going to automatically look at the data as it flies by and grab some pieces of that and put them into what are called these information structures. And those information structures are going to be captured and summarized in this OLAP environment. Now, as a point of fact, all of this is happening within our ERP system at this point. So this is all one computer system that is doing both OLTP and OLAP. But these information structures will now go into this OLAP environment and we can now look at that with analysis tools and other information systems. If you are thinking Tableau, you're thinking way too advanced, okay? I'll come to what tools like Tableau and even things like Excel and, and Power BI are. It's very important to realize this is kind of a, this is a, I, I don't want to use the word poor man's OLAP system because there's nothing cheap about this at all, but this is a very non-sophisticated system in the sense of the kind of output that it can create. It's very sophisticated as far as the overall architecture of it and the fact that it works. But you're not going to get 
2015 advanced analytics out of this system. Which is why this has to change. Now, the 2015 answer to changing this is HANA. Because HANA changes all of this. But we're not going to talk about HANA today. We're going to talk about the way things have been for the past many years before HANA came out, but kind of between this and HANA. And the reason why we're going to do that is, as we were talking about just a few moments ago, not every company has moved to HANA. And in fact, a lot of companies may never move to HANA. So there, there's another element here. So what we're actually seeing, and just for the sake of confusion, I'm going to erase my reference to HANA here. What we are seeing here is the architecture of SAP ERP, such as it has existed from the R3 era and moving forward. So we get a full-bodied OLTP system, and we get a, a minimal OLAP system. Questions about this? All right, so this slide right here just shows you some screenshots of work lists, and we talked about that, so I don't think we need to talk about that. This would be an example of an online list where you fill out a little bit more information, and the system will go out and, and pull information for you. Y your book showed you that. Not that big a deal. What I want to continue with, though, is our discussion of these information structures and other approaches here. Working with these information structures is done within information systems. Now, what in the world do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, if we go into the SAP GUI, you will and Murphy's Law says I'm going to have, oh, here we go right here. Notice that under sales and distribution, we have right here at the bottom sales information systems. And we could open up other folders here. And in that folder, almost always at the bottom, um, there's going to be a, a set of transactions that have the term information systems in them. See if I can find it here, quality inspection. See if there's one there. Inspection results, that seems like it. Oh, here we go, info systems right here. So anytime you see reference to that in a transaction group, that's a reference to transactions that are going to allow me to work with these information structures. And these information structures are these things that are created to give me analytic-like reports in a transaction-focused system. And there are logistics information systems and financial information systems and human resources information systems, and it's a compromise. It's a way of giving us analytics out of a system that was not engineered for it. It's kind of like if you bought a race car and you wanted to use it to drive your wife to the grocery store, okay? Um, 
that's harder than you think. I don't know if any of you ever watched those YouTube videos. I find them fascinating of like these people that get in these high performance cars and don't realize that it's different from driving a Ford minivan. And they're like at a traffic light and they hit the gas and their car goes spinning around and goes into the wall or something. Just because it's different to drive a high performance car than it is to drive what all the rest of us drive. Well, an OLTP system was, was engineered one way, but this is kind of like, okay, can we use it for, for something else? So, these information structures, there are three different things that they focus on. They focus on characteristics, which are the objects on which we capture data, key figures, which would be measures, quantities, etc., associated with it, and then period definition, which is the time period of the activity. So let's say, for example, that we have configured our enterprise information system for use in our clothing retail store. And so some of the things that the system might capture is information, obviously, on every product we sell. So the characteristics are going to be really, really obvious here. That's going to be the objects on which we collect data. That's all the stuff we sell. Key figures are things that we want to accumulate quantities about. Let's assume that this particular store sells both men's and women's apparel. And so we'll just generically use the term tops to refer to uh, shirts or blouses or other things that people wear on the top of their body. Well, what would be an example of something we would want to capture a key figure about? What would we want to accumulate quantities about because it might help us in, in later analytics we would do? What's it, what? Okay, whether it's men's or women's, I'll buy that. What else? What would be another kind of really important fact about a top that if you were looking at a report, you might want it broken out in this fashion? Size, okay? So we might want to capture size. How many were small, how many were extra straw, how many medium and whatever, we'd want to capture that, okay? So men's or women's, size, what else? Okay. Uh, I like your term style. I don't know what that would be, but you know, long sleeve, short sleeve, or whatever. All right, I'll buy that. What else? Okay, type. I don't know how that's different than style, but this is a hypothetical example, so it doesn't really matter. The one that, that I think should be here would be color, okay? So we could go in and we can configure, okay, I want to be able to look at facts, and these are the key figures that are important to me. Size, style, type, color. I might even have um, fabric. You know, I might want to look at, you know, cotton sales versus polyester sales versus whatever. So I can go in the system and I can define these key figures. The period definition is having to do with how this information is going to be accumulated. And by that I mean, remember going back to our idea of all these accumulators. So here's what's going to happen. If I say I want to keep track of men's versus women's, we're going to get M and W accumulators, 
And every time I sell something men's related, I'm going to add one to the M. And every time I sell something women related, I'm going to add one to W. And I'm going to keep track of that for all of these things. But remember, I'm, I'm accumulating them. So I don't have detail. I have summary information. So period definition is, OK, on what time frame do you want these accumulators? In other words, I could say, I want these accumulated on a weekly basis. And maybe I decide that Sunday is the beginning of the week. So all my sales, Sunday through Saturday, are going to be accumulated. And then when the next week starts, those numbers are going to be set aside, recorded in a database somewhere, and I'm going to start accumulating new numbers. And so you could print out a report that showed weekly sales and presented all of that information. And the key is the system is not calculating that on demand. The system is just going back up and looking at the information it captured as the data went into the system and reporting that. And so that's what we're talking about when we say period definition. You say, well, could I tell it to, uh, to capture this hourly? Yeah, you could. But now you're going to have a whole lot more data, and it might not really be that useful for you. You might say, well, weekly is way too often. I, I would be fine with monthly totals or even quarterly totals. You decide that. You configure the system accordingly. Now, you will get for free a set of predefined standard information structures in the system. They will be there whether you elect to use them or not. They're just part of the way SAP has engineered their product. But as we have been working through as our example here, you can go in and define your own, which a lot of times that means copying the standard ones and then making changes to it to reflect differences that you want in, in your particular instantiation. What this will allow us to do is two different types of analysis. What's called standard analysis, which these are reports that are standard in the system. We run a transaction, and it'll show us monthly sales or quarterly sales. Or we have the ability to actually define our own report content in configuration using these information structures. So to go back to a question that was asked before, this is not ABAP programming. This is just configuration. This is me going in and saying, I want this report, and these are the characteristics I want to show up on this report, and these are the key figures, and this is the period, and this is what I want that report to look like. And so this is analytics such as it is built into the ERP system. Questions about this? Now, you might look at this and say, this is way too crude. I, I want to do something much more insightful than this. I, I want something that will give me data to feed into Tableau so that I can build all kinds of pretty graphs with. Um, not going to get there through this. You could create like a bar chart that shows your sales. But even that's not going to be super easy. So what do I do 
if I want real analytics? Well, what companies will do is they will set up either a business intelligence system or these are sometimes called the business warehouse. So the, the acronyms BI or BW are essentially synonymous here. And so what's going to happen here is, here's my SAP ERP system. Let's just focus on it. This SAP ERP system will periodically, and this could be once a day, will take all of that day's information for critical things and send that information to another computer system, another database, for the sake of us doing analytics on it. So the virtue of this is now my OLTP system can keep focusing on being an OLTP system. But I'm going to move this data into another system that is focused on analytics. And the process that is typically used for this goes by the acronym ETL. Because what's actually going to happen is we are extracting data from one system. The L is load into another system. And the T that sits there in the middle is the word transform. Because sometimes we have to do some conversion of the data or we have to do some manipulation as it moves from point A to point B. So what a company will do is they'll take their SAP ERP system and maybe they have another SAP system, an SAP CRM system or supply chain management system, and they'll set that up here. And then they can take other systems that aren't even created by SAP. They could take other systems that generate XML data and really just any old thing they have and they can use an ETL tool to have all of that data come into this BI or BW system. And now we can run analytics against this guy to our heart's content. SAP has an old school tool called Business Explorer, which is designed to let us explore this information and draw insight for it. In a more contemporary environment, they have tools like Lumira and tools like uh, SAP Predictive Analytics and a wide variety of other tools that will allow you to go into this BIBW system and do all kinds of data modeling. So what, what we do is we enable ourselves to do these advanced analytics without ever worrying about it affecting all of those systems over there on the left that are critical to our corporate infrastructure and that cannot ever, ever go down. Questions? Now, I said I didn't want to talk too much about HANA, but let's reiterate a concept here that fits in with this. What we have just described is a scenario where I have an OLTP system. I made that kind of small and it looks like a, I don't know, a chef's hat. It's supposed to look like one of these cans down here. And I have an OLAP system and data gets moved just like we've drawn here in this picture. And by the way, 
this is always the way the data moves. The data never moves back the other direction, ever. Okay? This is what this picture is. Hanna says, we have advanced technology that will enable us to let you do analytics in the same system you do transactions with. So we no longer need two systems. You can have one HANA system. And right away now we see the potential virtue of this. Best case scenario, all these systems are sending their data over here once a day. You know, probably at like 2 a.m. Some companies, they may be sending their data once a week or even in some instances once a month or once a quarter. But if you think about it, what that means is the data that you are modeling is never truly current data. At best, it's data that's a day old, and at worst, it might be a data that's a quarter old. So what HANA says is we can get away with this division. We can let you do analytics on the same system that you're running transactions on, which means that if I build a visualization, that visualization is absolutely contemporary with what's happening in my business. Means if I create a dashboard that shows sales, if a sale comes in right now, that gets captured and displayed on my dashboard instantaneously. I can't do that here because a sale that comes in right now isn't going to be moved to the BI slash BW system until tonight. So it opens up all kinds of very interesting opportunities in the context of advanced analytics. And that goes back to the video we watched a couple class periods ago about that game company that said, we can run analytics as people are playing our games. And we can build a customer profile, and we can know where they are in the game and what they have done, and we could make them an offer based on that exact scenario as opposed to we could capture where everybody is at the end of a given day and then the next day make them an offer which might be totally worthless at that point because they played the game for eight more hours and they're not where they were the day before. So you begin to see, I hope, how this really does change things in a fairly revolutionary way. The other reason why business professionals are really interested in HANA and, and computing professionals they are, we kill this whole thing off. We don't have to do ETL. We don't need a data warehouse. We just need this guy right here. And we need him set up and configured properly. And we do everything against that one system. And a phrase that you will often hear uh, used that is, is really important here is, quote, one source of truth. We're all on the same page. We're all getting our data from the same place, and the data agrees. You realize inherently what this system says and what this system says will be different because of the time lag. So that could introduce some potential confusion and some real conflicts here. If we can kill this off, we now have one source of truth that we can have much greater confidence in. Questions? You now know more about HANA than probably 20% of the SAP 
users out there. By the end of the semester, you'll know more about HANA than 80%. There's still some more things we need to fill in, but we'll do that kind of as we go along. By the way, as an aside, the ACM has invited Bjorn Berg to come and speak in an ACM meeting in October, and he will be doing a HANA demo. And so uh, we don't really do anything in HANA in this class. Um, those of you that have taken some of the other courses I teach, maybe you've done some things with HANA. But he's going to come in and just kind of do a general demo for the ACM uh, about that technology. And so when you see that announced, some of you uh, might want to consider attending that. And that is, at long last, the end of the discussion on enterprise systems.